Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Business. Uh, I am very honored today to share with you more about our guest. Uh, we are joined today uh, with Henry Kastner, who is the co-founder and partner at Sovereign's Capital, a private equity and venture capital firm uh, that invests in faith-driven entrepreneurs all throughout Southeast Asia and the US. And Henry, prior to co-founding Sovereign's Capital, uh, was the previous CEO of Bandwidth, another company that he co-founded, and a sister company, Republic Wireless, which he has helped to grow from scratch to over $600 million in revenue. I believe that's the latest figure that I could find. Um, and Henry is also the co-founder of Faith Driven Entrepreneur and Faith Driven Investor Ministries. Um, and that is how I've come to know Henry through his book that I miraculously found actually on the bookshelf of our local Christian store as I was looking for business books uh, that also intertwined faith and biblical principles. And I remember distinctly last year asking um, the store assistant, do you have any books on business? And they said, unfortunately not, we don't have anything. And I was looking around the shelf and Henry, that's actually how I found your, your physical book and then dove into the ministry side. So thank you for joining us today. Ryan, it's a great pleasure, honor, blessing. I love that you had that perseverance. And one of the things, I have three boys, 18, 20, and 22. I talked to them a lot about not taking no for an answer. And I love the fact that you're just like, you know, I, I think I'll take a walk through the, the aisles anyway. It's, it's really interesting, Henry, because what I've found with, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. What I've found over the last 12 months um, is I've actually had a lot more faith-inclined clients come through and partner and work together. And I have found that business dealings with other like-minded individuals that are grounded in the same principles and values to be so much easier to transact and to do commerce and work together. It doesn't mean that we necessarily believe the same thing, um, or it doesn't mean that we have disagreements either, but it, it provided such an incredible uh, foundation for us to do work together um, than those who, say, didn't have those same values. And I'd love to hear from your experience. Uh, you've got a rich history of investing, but have you found that to also be true with some of your own personal and professional investments? Well, the first thing I, I think that I need to, to address, if, if you're all right with it, is the concept of faith inclined. I've never heard the expression faith inclined before. And um, sometimes people ask me about, so we have a ministry called Faith Driven Entrepreneur and one called Faith Driven oh. Investor. And I do want to get it answering your question. But we may be inclined by our faith, but we are driven by something. We are driven mm. by our belief in something. And one of the things that I think we all need to ask ourselves is, what are we driven by? So for some people, it might be faith inclined. Maybe they're driven, though, by something else. 
maybe they're driven by the by personal ambition or the opportunity to make a lot of money or to be able to get prestige or something like that. What we hope to be able to do is to be able to work with people that go from an inclination towards faith to something where they're driven by it. Because we all believe in something and we're all driven mm -hmm. by something. The question is, what are we driven by? And my sense is that when I come across uh when I come across uh entrepreneurs that are driven by their faith, they tend to be better investments than the ones I had made in the past. I've recently, within the last five or six years, said every investment that I make is gonna have some aspect of spiritual integration in it. It's gonna be investing in a faith-driven mm -hmm. entrepreneur that is solving a problem in the marketplace and finds a mission and a passion in doing it, is able to articulate that mission to all stakeholders in such a way that it lends to an allegiance of customers and employees that gives them actually an advantage in the marketplace. So as mm -hmm. I invest, I absolutely look to invest in people who are driven by faith in something bigger than the manufacturing and distribution of widgets or in just world domination or something like that, because I think that it makes for a better investment. Because again, I think that uh, employees primarily are drawn to something that's bigger than um, just a business. They want to see something change in the world because of what they're doing. And if that can be ascribed to a belief in a higher power and working for their glory as a form of worship of sorts, right? then that's really compelling because we're mm. all in business and those that we invest in, we're all worshiping something. We're all driven by something and we're all kind of worshiping something. You know, we may have various degrees of how much we have ownership behind that word worship, right? It's a non-traditional mm -hmm. word to think about. And yet we all are. So gosh, my, the next time you ask me a question, it's going to be, it's going to be less verbose and I'm going to remember the question better, but I did need to mention that. Uh, that's that's actually really, I, I think that's a really powerful distinction as well because i think what you're also getting at too is you can have a faith it doesn't necessarily mean that your the, the the fruit is then being produced through the business because you can be driven by something else within your entrepreneurial journey and yes that and 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 truly like if if god isn't then the the center and the foundation of your business, then something else is fundamentally driving, driving it. Um, I, I love what you said in Faith Driven Investor, which was this point, at the end of our lives, we aren't accountable to investors for financial returns. We're actually accountable to God for what we did for him and what he's entrusted us with. Yes. And I thought that was really profound. Um, because at the heart of business, which I believe is very different to then running a nonprofit, your business exists, um, or your business only exists if it is profitable. But then how do we go about stewarding that in such a way that we're entrusted with more? And yeah, yeah I'd love I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that because obviously um god has has blessed you in your ability to grow two organizations and then some ministries as well how have you seen his grace uh appear in terms of being a good steward yeah so that's a so a great question and you start off by the sense of of you know this eternal perspective 
which is that, and it starts with this. Uh, it, so everybody who invests or everybody who's an entrepreneur needs to have a working theory of change about what's going on in the world. And how does the enterprise that I'm running or the investments I make factor into that? And the ones that are the most rewarding um, and the ones that will attract the most people are something above and beyond just a financial bottom line. And yet, to be clear, a financial bottom line is incredibly important. Hmm. For those of you that are those of your listeners that are come from a Christian faith, there's this concept of aim first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. So aim first for solving a problem, or a, a Christian would say, advancing God's kingdom under his power for his glory. But as we pray, many of your listeners will be familiar with the, the Our Father. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As we have this sense that we actually get a chance to participate in that with what we're doing, we have an eternal perspective with how we are doing God's work for him and participating in this greater story. Without this larger framework and without this larger working theory of change about why we're working, we can kind of get lost. And getting lost is, is difficult to do because um, I'm finding that the newer generation of employees are, and customers are really looking for a sense of a higher purpose. And your ability to understand with the level of authenticity and integrity about what is driving you, what is your working theory of change, um, needs to resonate with your stakeholders. In my case, though, I am motivated by the fact that at some point in time, I'm going to be held accountable for all that I did and did not do for with all of the things that God gave me. So the other part of this kind of broader theory and working theory of change is the concept of ownership. So my faith tells me I actually don't own anything. God owns it all. Everything was created is God's. Everything under the heavens is his. And that means all of my wealth, everything, I am his. That means that I'm not an owner. I'm a steward, which is awesome. I mean, it's just I've been hired effectively by God. I've been placed in stewardship of these resources. But if I want to be able to find out what the founder's intent is, what is the owner's intent? He's asked me to steward assets, but to what end? In order to do that, well, I have to ask the owner, like, what's your intent? What do you want me to do? Like, what to, how do I do that? And if I know that it's, as I see, it's to take care of the poor, it's to solve problems, it's to be able to be an active participant in building God's kingdom with this sense that at the end of all time, there's going to be an accounting about what did you do with the different opportunities I gave you. That introduces, as an investor, a completely different set of the right type of ROI and the right type of metrics. Let me see if I can explain that. And that does not necessarily mean that you have to check alpha, which is financial return at the door. But aim first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You might find these other things too. So through the grace of God and our faith-driven investing portfolio, and what I run for, for our family, we've done 17.2% because we've been wow. able to invest with these fund managers, many different funds, not just sovereign funds, but many different funds and different individual companies, that when you find entrepreneurs that have that type of bigger mindset, that they actually do really well, not at the expense of biblical values, but oftentimes because of them, mm. right? Okay, but that eternal perspective is important. So let me give you a different example on that. If I believe that I'm going to be held accountable at the end of times, not necessarily for my ROI, but for how obedient I was to the founder's intent and asked him, did I ask him where he wanted me to invest? And what do I learn from scripture? I learned things like, I'm supposed to take care of the poor. The very thing we should be eager to do, says the Gospels. Well, there are 4 billion people 
who live on less than $10 a day. A secular person who believes in an economy of scarcity as opposed to an economy of abundance would say, you probably get a better risk-adjusted return by just investing in Australia or in America. That's probably where you go. The question is, what's our definition of risk? Is our definition of risk whether we're going to lose capital or not? We know what the, how that works in the parable of the, the talents in the Bible. But if my perspective of risk is that my real risk is getting up to heaven and guys like, hold on. I gave you all these opportunities. I gave you all this money to steward. You never really asked me how to steward it. And this all happened while you knew that there are 4 billion people living on less than $10 a day and that aid hasn't worked and you need to provide investment opportunities to provide dignity to entrepreneurs in emerging markets. And you never really kind of weighed into it. Just on a risk-adjusted return, it just didn't make sense. But how are you determining risk? So for me, I want to have the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. I want to have a natural, healthy fear. And fear doesn't mean being shaking in your boots. It just has an awe of God. But if I owe him my life and all the resources he entrusts me with, I have to ask him and then look through scripture to find as many hints as I possibly can about how to allocate that capital. And for now, to be clear, don't let me for a second prescribe or presume how your listeners should invest in like emerging markets. That's not the point here. Uh, the the bigger point is understanding ownership, how we could store it, and then asking the owner. And so from your, some of your listeners might ask God, how would you have me store the capital you've entrusted me with? And they may say, it's you know to invest in solar farms in the outback. Okay, that's creation care. Yeah. That's equally valid as somebody who's been called to invest in, in emerging market entrepreneurs. It's God will call us. It's a chance for us as we store capital is to commune with the living God, ask him, how we might steward it. And we might very well find out that as we do that, we may find out that investment return comes alongside it. But in my experience, aim first at investment return, you won't get it. Aim first at the kingdom of God and have this bigger narrative about what's really going on in the world. You'll get a chance to participate in what God's doing in the world. And it's awesome. It takes us from a black and white existence, monochromatic existence, to a technicolor one. And along the way, we might find that we might get great earthly return as well, which is still also important. And it's a sign of excellence. But there's an ordering here that's important. Wow, that's very, um, it's actually a very profound point uh, in regards to then how you see investments. And, and that question about how do you define risk puts things into perspective for people too. And like you said, so this, 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 or the, the, the fear of God actually keeps him front and center in your investment thesis, because each, like to your point, each person might have something different that they're called to something that the Holy spirit stirs up in, inside of them as to what is then different or, or where they are pulled with their, their capital and resources as an entrepreneur. Um, and I know that uh, Sovereign's Capital, you guys invest in entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia. Um, one of the takeaways for me from your, your book as well is we're not just investing in a business for profit, um, but we're also investing in the whole person and, and kind of seeing people as children, a child made in God's image, not just a tool for financial gain in terms of not only clients, team, uh, 
who you choose to partner with. And there's this big theme that I think you you make a really beautiful point of in your podcast that you've also recorded before and also how you speak publicly that you are in partnership, that you are a co-founder, that you have an incredible team around you. Um, and what you just said was really profound for me because when I hired my first virtual assistant uh, for my team over in the Philippines, uh, I found out after a few weeks that she was also uh, a woman of faith. She'd go to her local church. And on the weekend, she would spend 20% of her salary buying food for the hungry in her community and taking wow. it out to feed the home homeless. And that really moved my heart because I understood that here was a woman who had cultural values, but driven very much by her faith to also have an impact on her um, community. And I'd love to ask you, Henry, what is your kind of investment thesis? How do you then evaluate a business opportunity in front of you that your fund could then invest in? What are some of the, the things that you're really looking for? Okay, you're going to think I'm really bad at answering questions. I'm in love with this assistant that you have. I think it's a, it's a, and there's so many lessons to the, the power mm. of investing done right in the story that you just shared. So my inclination is I'm a steward of God's capital to advance his kingdom, is write this woman's check, like tomorrow. She's already voting with her own dollars, knows the local population, mm -hmm. and we could come in at her invitation, because it's right now, so oftentimes when you're Australia or America, the power dynamic is we invest in emerging markets is all wrong. We come in, with NGOs that we kind of run, we, we, we go to these places and we're driving around Range Rovers and we're trying to say, here are the different types of metrics you need to have. Just simple stuff. It's investing in the invitation of somebody else who has real skin in the game, mm. who knows the local context and community, driven by their faith. And that's all you ever need to know about faith-driven investing and how to store capital is the story you just told. Okay. Let me go a little bit beyond that um, and try to spell it out a little bit more. Um, we originally, uh, 13 years ago, we moved uh, the, the first office for Sovereign's Capital is in KL, Malaysia. Um, but we found that when we got off the plane in, in Jakarta, that the local business owners and investors there really understood this concept. Of course, Christian-led businesses can compete and win and do well. Interestingly, you know, so much of Southeast Asia is majority Muslim nations, Indonesia absolutely being one of them. Mm -hmm. And yet it was the Christian business owners and investors like, wow, yeah, of course, your thesis behind Sovereign's Capital that the companies can advance God's kingdom and do well with good alpha, good financial return, not at the expense of biblical values because of them. We get it. Much easier sale, interestingly, in, in Indonesia than it is in America, probably Australia. And so what we were able to do and the secret behind our early investment success in Indonesia was coming along at the invitation of locals who understood the broader context, who then put their own skin in the game. So they invested in equal terms with us. So when there is a problem with an investment, 
they understood the local context and they could go ahead and help find a new CFO or new head of human resources. If there's an introduction needed to be made to a local manufacturer or something like that, they'd have that. And that is one of the real keys in looking at emerging markets investing is being able to partner with people on the ground. And now in some cases, now in Indonesia, there's a good number of wealthy Christian business owners. In other places, you have uh, less of an opportunity to have the same type of 50-50 type of partnership as we did in Indonesia. But you still have to have something, something, because they're going to understand the local context, what works, mm. something, business idea that sounds great to me. Because the guy's talking my language and customer acquisition cost a lifetime value or whatever the case is, is tone deaf for the local market. And I'd never know. But my local partner mm. will know. And he's not just somebody giving me advice. He's putting, he's somebody, he or she is somebody putting their money in. But just coming back to the beauty of that story for the woman in the Philippines, just like, it's just, I never want her to ever have to say no to a person who's looking for food ever again in her neighborhood. And what a great example for her to give 20% toward that. I would presume that 20% is more painful and hard for her than it is for any of us. It may feel harder for us, right? Giving up the Hawaiian vacation may feel like it's more painful for me than somebody who never even thought that a Hawaiian vacation was even possible. Mm. But gosh, isn't there something beautiful in that story you just shared? Oh, I, w I, was, I was in tears. I was so moved because I think she ended up saying that her husband and her drove uh, an hour and a half on the motorcycle to find people on her weekend off working. And I think her husband and her went hungry for a day to be able to feed her local people. And I just had no idea until she told me because she, she, um, and I'm sure you also have investments in, in perhaps the Philippines and that part of the world, but it was just very, very, very moving um, to then yeah. also learn more about the dynamics of what she was trying to do in her com local community project. Um, and it was her husband who actually started their nonprofit to give food to the homeless, um, particularly during COVID where people had to line up for food. And so a lot of people in her community were going hungry and I was just so blown away um, by that act of generosity. And to your point, yeah, 20% would, would impact her significantly. Um, and I don't know what it's like Ryan for you and your house. If I were to tell my spouse, who's an awesome, she's my best friend. She's incredible. She's Jesus loving. But to say, hey, this weekend, we're going to go on a motorbike, an hour and a half in each direction, to feed people. And as a result of this, we're not going to eat. That's why maybe they say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, fortunately, through God, all things are possible, right? That, that yeah. parable ends that way. And yet, you get a sense of the, the faith and the conviction and a sense of stewardship. She gets a, has a sense of, I have these resources. There are people who need them. I'll eventually get food again because Ryan's going to pay me. So I'm not going to go hungry for 40 days, but you know I can give up one day and I'm going to give up my time to go ahead and do these people who desperately need it. That's awesome. So moving. Um, 
And for you, I, it just sounded like I threw my wife under the bus. Me, okay? <laughs> it's not her. It's not her thing. Sure. I don't want to get on a motorbike for an hour and a half. I don't want to go hungry. I don't let me. Brian never let me blame my wife for anything ever again because it's really to me. <laughs> um. Well, what's what's interesting, and I'm sure you you know a little bit more because you're American. But from here, we don't have Chick Fil A. But uh, Kathy Truett's you're story. There. Australia on... is almost there. <laughs> just um, I just thought of Truett's story and principles under, like, underlying his business model entirely is also mind blowing and mind mind blowing in the sense that it 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 rubs against everything else that conventional business wisdom would tell you which is to say you need to operate 7 days a week you need to you need to have your store open on the sunday because you're missing out on 17% of revenue um and the the way i think about it and henry i'd love to hear your thoughts i i feel like in in a lot of ways when I when I wrestle with what Jesus said and you start to look at the principles of the kingdom of God is I guess people often say that it's the the upside down kingdom, but perhaps the better way to say it is actually the kingdom is the right side up. And and that's how we can look at how do we yeah. treat people, how do we take care of the planet, how do we invest in a way that you know the kingdom is then advanced and when you understand the kingdom it's actually like harmonious things work well we're not taking advantage of of people or trying to um you know create a win-lose situation and coming back to her, her name's uh melanie uh the the va coming back to Melanie's story for a moment is like, okay, well, she's driven by the, those principles. It's like no one in her community should go hungry. Um, yeah. And well, you should be motivated by the kingdom principles. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, I mentioned it just in passing before, but there's a great author named Brian Fickert and Brian talks about this concept. Of, m- most business schools will teach us uh, in economics of scarcity. But when we start to think about God's kingdom being the right way up, we can start to think about an, an economy of abundance. We mm. worship a God who took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000. So he's capable of building something out of nothing and being able to provide in sometimes miraculous ways. But it's the way his kingdom works for those that seek him. And um, again, she showed us she showed us how to do it. And, you know, that's what, you know, Chick-fil-A, how would you give up 17% of your sales? And in many stores, many, many stores, it's much more than that because they, they sit on motorways or something like that, that are, that are, that are, are, that are busier with weekend travelers. And yet they're able to do that in a way that allows them to be remarkably profitable. You think about Hobby Lobby, same type of thing, a business Mm -hmm. run on Hobby Lobby is a company in the United States that makes picture frames. And they have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of profits each year by just ha- having a company that's about something greater than just the manufacture and distribution of photo frames. They see the livelihoods that they create for their workers 
as a holy ambition and a calling. They see the wages they pay them, the benefits. They see the way that they greet their customers as part of bringing in God's shalom to people that are coming in to, to shop at their, their stores. What a great opportunity, they think, of having hundreds and hundreds of stores as places where people will congregate and they have an opportunity to interact with people. And so this sense per, per, pervades through a, a, through a Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby, and I'm sure there are great examples of this in Australia. But mm. it goes counter-cultural and counter-intuitive until you realize that actually taking care of customers and employees is good business. But in each of those cases, it didn't start off with, wow, let's go ahead and make a lot of money. And the best way for us to do that is by taking great care of our customers or employees. It started with a bigger working theory of change. Like there's something going on here. God has uniquely equipped us with the talents and the gifting experience to, to make a chicken sandwich or to make a picture frame. And we think that that's a way of fitting into God's overall kingdom. And this is just our chosen ministry platform. Yeah. And then with that comes this great financial success. But the moment they just focus on financial success and don't look at the other things, it all, go, all goes poof, all goes away. Yeah, I think um, we've, we've definitely seen or, or heard, read horror stories of where that's happened. People have lost their businesses or families at the expense of the pursuit of, of more or, you know, the, the temptation to to bend things or to take a shortcut and it's the illusion it's the fool's gold it's it's not the same thing we 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 get to a stage where we've built things on these principles that have actually profoundly accelerated our success and then we think oh we're going to do it faster or take the easier route um to our detriment um i had so I, I posed uh, the question to some some entrepreneurial friends of mine who uh, who have a faith, and I got a couple of questions back, which I just thought were really interesting. Um, and they were each wrestling with uh, some of these on their own, and I wanted to pose a couple of questions to you just to see if you yeah. had some thoughts. So, so one of them uh, said that people's behavior doesn't always match their theology especially when it comes yeah. to money. How have yeah. you personally um, seen that play out in some of the organizations that you've led? But more importantly, how have you managed that as a leader um, when it comes to it impacting someone's role or their ability to perform? Well, I'll start in reverse. Um... I think it's really important that we are able to compensate, reward um, our employees well, and to do that maybe even better than the secular world might. I think that's really important. I don't think that as faith-driven founders with faith-driven employees, we should pay them anything um, less than market wage, if not more. Um, but you talk about money, and money is really, it's, I'm glad you're, you're going there. It's really important. I spent uh, this morning with a guy named Andy Crouch. Uh, Andy was an event that I was at in San Francisco, and we have a we have a a group series for faith driven investors, and he features in his his story on God and Mammon uh, features in week two of the the groups we do. 
And uh, we need to acknowledge the power of money. We need to acknowledge the power that it's not just that money is uh, is evil, because evil, the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. But mammon is a is something bigger even than money. It has a spiritual force, and there's I think there's a reason why in many Bible translations it's actually not translated from the original Aramaic, and it has a capital M to it because it's a proper name. It has a it has a it's its own kind of a spirit. It's something altogether different, and it's different than the other sins. You know, so you think about the different types of sins. Let me see it. it, 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 it I'll, I'll paint it a different way. Three boys over Christmas, we watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy, filmed down near where you guys are, of course. And we watched it, and it occurred to me while watching it that the hobbits had a sin problem. Okay, you think about the seven deadly sins. Okay, we'll, we'll hit a couple. Envy. The Saxville Bagginses really wanted Bag End. There's envy within the world of the hobbits. There may have been lust about the, you know, Sam and the barmaid, but, you know, he redeemed it. You know, he ended up marrying her. But, uh, okay, let's go to some of the other obvious ones. Gluttony. Hobbits had second breakfast. That's a lot. That's a lot of food. Okay. Mm. Uh, sloth. Oh, my goodness. Has there ever been a creature that was more lazy than the hobbit? Okay. These are mm. some of the deadly sins that we're taught about. Right. But the ring, man, the ring with a capital R, something altogether different with its power over hobbits and elves and men. And I think that helps us to understand the power that money has. Because money and the spirit that rules it isn't just a, it's a power that has a storability to it, as Andy would say, which makes it really dangerous. Like I have a power right now. I have a power. I have the ability to talk on your podcast. It's really cool. But this is not a power that I have any storability on. I can't save this for later. You may, may or not, you know, after this, you'll probably never let me on the podcast again. So I've got to use whatever power you've given me right now. But money, money I can store for when I need that power. It's, it's storable. And as a result of it, it gives me this sense of power that is really dangerous. But beyond that, depending on how your listeners think about spiritual warfare in the Bible, talking about the fact that, that our battles are not against flesh and blood, they're against the evil powers and the principalities of this world. And if that's the case, then they're, they're really, they're really you know, demonic forces at, at play. And depending on how you, where your theology is, you can come out on all sorts of different places. But I, I, despite coming from Reformed faith, I, actually, I do believe that the Bible, of course, is true and that this is something. And here's the one, here's the, the time when the Bible names that power, capital M. And I've seen it have a power in my life that's different than the other sin temptations. And so money, let's just acknowledge, you know, in a podcast on investing in entrepreneurship, money has a real powerful force. So what do we do about it? Well, we acknowledge that it's really difficult. Um, and then I look to um, my favorite passage in the Bible on investing is not the parable of the talents, though it's a great one. It's the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is mm-hmm. a guy goes out and he sows a seed out there, and it's a it's a, a metaphor, a parable for sowing the seed of the word of God and 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 and, and so that that the seed of faith might grow in our lives and 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 bear fruit. Okay. The first two trials, if you're familiar with the Bible concept, uh, don't go well. Uh, the seed gets scorched and mm-hmm. um, in another case, the birds come and take it away. But the third one, the third thing is the thorns. 
And so Christ tells us what the thorns are that would choke out the seed. So you already had something growing, right? That's when the thorns really matter. Yep. It happens after the scorching, after the birds. Then the thorns are starting to get around it. So what are those thorns? The thorns, the Bible tells us, are the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Elsewhere in the Bible, we understand that Satan is the great deceiver, right? Mm. There's a spiritual element at force here, and it's a big, big deal. Really, really difficult. If we can get through those three trials with the most, with the last one being the one that's ready to choke out the more mature person that's kind of like starting to make some progress in their faith life, what's our return? This is a place where the Bible tells us what our investment return will be. It's amazing. It's 30, 60, or 100 fold. That's a big deal. 30 fold return is a big deal. And it's in the only currency that really matters. So, how do you keep the thorns? from coming around you, the deceitfulness of riches. The only way to do it is the way that, that, that Frodo did it in The Lord of the Rings. He was saved by his friends. Mm. He had his buddy Sam with him. He would have been sunk without Sam and Mary and yep. Pippin. We need the same. We need to have trusted friends that can help us to see the blind spots we have. Because in my life, those thorns are coming around, but they're invisible to me. They're visible to other people. Remember in The Lord of the Rings, you know what I'm talking about? Was The Lord of the Rings popular in Australia too? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it you was. Know, you had the, you it was. They just filmed it in the, in the other country. In that's the wrong all. place. I remember <laughs> in the early days of bandwidth. I remember a guy coming up to me, who was, um, he was South African, uh, and he said, "I understand you're going to hire an Australian. You can't do that. You can't trust them." And I'm like, "That sounds awfully weird." So I hired the Australian, became one of our greatest employees. But two years later, the Australian came into my, uh, into my office and said, hey, I hear you're going to hire a guy from New Zealand. You can't do that. They can't be trusted. I'm like, what is it with you guys? And the, the <laughs> rivalry, I think, is really, really funny between Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. Uh, but James Roberts, uh, the Australian member of our team, one of the greatest friends and one of the greatest coworkers, and his joy for life. Oh, my goodness. He was, he was, he was a rock star. Okay, you got me on it on a tangent. Um, <laughs> what you're talking about is we're talking about the fact that we, these thorns can be invisible to us, yeah, but they can be pointed out when we have great friends in our lives, they can point them out. And if we can get through that together, God created us to be in community with one another. If we can get through that while well, mm -hmm. we've got that type of investment return that that's, that's riches in heaven and where moths and rust can't destroy. I, I really love that because um, I think there are lots of business communities that do exist that people are a part of, but when it then comes to people who are professing the same Christian faith, if you're guided by those principles as well, biblical principles that then drive your, your life and your business, how you operate, and like you said, there are blind spots and different things that do occur in your entrepreneurial journey that you sometimes might not be able to see. And some of the stats you mentioned in Faith Driven Entrepreneur, I hadn't heard before, but they're very sobering, which were, which were that entrepreneurs are two times more likely to suffer from depression, three times more likely to battle substance abuse, two times more likely to have suicidal thoughts, and are more likely to be hospitalized. Um, and then you go on to write as well, which I think is really powerful, is that partnership, community, demands ultimate transparency and vulnerability. 
And I think there's something really profound in that around being, being with, being connected, being part of the, the body of Christ, the church, two or more gathered in his name. That's where he dwells. So yeah. you've got these two beautiful ministries, faith-driven entrepreneur and faith-driven investor. And I'd love to just hear you elaborate a little bit, Henry, on what does ultimate transparency and vulnerability mean with within the Christian faith? Because I think that can have meaning for different people, but I'd love to hear it in the context of, of how you see see it in business so let's um let's uh let's start off with continuing on our discussion of money um andy crouch would tell you that the way to overcome god and mammon or or, or mammon, rather uh yeah to overcome mammon uh we need to cure it through generosity and then transparency so you're hitting on the transparency piece the only way for me to have transparency of course is for me to share my finances with others, to share with them what my resources are, what my income is, and how I go ahead and I allocate that. That's that's the most important thing we do we uh, on money. But that, of course, applies to every part of our lives. Um, it applies mm-hmm. to um, how we have lustful thoughts, any sin pattern at all. We need to be in relationship with people who know us and are given permission. So I've got a guy. So I've got some my best friends in the world. A guy named uh, David Morkin, who I ran bandwidth with, and Luke Roush, who I ran Sovereign's Capital with. Um, and we've got great accountability. I get a little more formulaic, though, with a great friend of mine who has come up with a framework, and I just love the way that he's able to do this. He also has his degree in Christian counseling, so I really I love whenever he can speak in my life. But we're friends first. But he uh, asked me every two weeks to talk about how I'm doing on a scale of 1 to 10 with negative thoughts and negative actions. And then also positive thoughts and positive actions. And it's meant to to it's meant to be part of you go across everything money, mm-hmm. uh, lust, sloth, all the different sins we were talking about that the hobbits have. Um, but then it's also then at the end it's also it's like okay, so what have you done over the last two weeks? What are you ashamed of? And then have you lied to me? Uh, mm. I'm really impressed by I'm really impressed by. Um, I have a, my middle son goes to Catholic university in, in the United States called Notre Dame. And we're talking about our Protestant faith as it compares to Catholic faith. And there's something I think that Catholics can really help us with as Protestants. And I think that but vice versa to be, to, to be true. Uh, but the confession is something that I think that Catholics by and large do really, really well. And I think the Protestants by and large are not great at confessing our sins to one another, despite the fact that it's talked about in scripture. And um, I was asked to speak on transformation recently, and I was fascinated by just how I'd been hearing all these stories about revivals. There's a revival, and I'm a, in America, there's something called the Presbyterian Church of America, and it's not very mm-hmm. big Holy Spirit. It's, it's kind of more of a Reformed faith, and we don't talk a lot about I went Holy to a Presbyterian revivals. high school, so I know, I know the distinction. Really? And um, yeah. On occasion, we're called the Frozen Chosen, right? Yeah. Okay. So, and so we were looking at, um, we're looking at what does it look like to, um, 
Oh gosh, what were we talking about, Ryan? I'm so sorry. You're going to need to edit this now. I lost oh, my just, thought. Just, no, no, no that's totally fine. Uh, we were just talking about partnership community, and you mentioned the the Catholics around them being really good at confession. Oh, confession of sins. Ryan, I think that one of the things that we're missing in the church is the importance of confession of sins to one another. So I was, you know, I was asked to speak on the subject of revival. I'm sorry, a transformation. But in, I thought, mm. well, what's more, what's more transformative than revival? And there had been a there had been a revival that had cropped up in America maybe a month before at a place called Asbury. And mm-hmm. um, I actually uh, had so a friend at, who was a filmmaker who went over to Asbury to film it in the university. Oh my goodness! And I was so. I do you know how the, that revival started? Uh, my understanding is that they had a worship service. And they just decided to continue playing, and they kept going. So, so there's some more. So, yes, but there's some more nuance to that. Um, and it comes back to how the Hebrides revival started. So, there are three. There, there are a number of different revivals. But in order to prepare this talk, I looked at three of them: the Asbury revival, the Hebrides revival, and the Welsh revival. All okay. three of them started the same way. Talk about the Hebrides revival. A couple of young guys praying for revival in a barn in the Hebrides. Nothing's happening. But one of them had been in Psalms that morning and came across the Psalm, I should know the number, saying that we cannot approach the altar unless we have clean hands and a pure heart. He said, you know what? Maybe we're not getting an answer to our prayer because we're not, we don't have clean hands and a pure heart. So why don't we pray that God would show us where our hands aren't clean and our hearts aren't pure? And that's what began the revival. At Asbury, it happened because at the end of that church service, a senior, a, a young man, got up and said, listen, I just need everybody to know that I have wronged another person, and I need to confess this sin. He did it publicly, and that's what started the revival. So the concept of being in, in community with others and confessing our sin to one another, to God's image bearers, is a beautiful I don't, dare I say sacrament that is um, this really, I think the Catholics would call it a sacrament. I know the Catholics have seven of them, and I, I think this confession must be one of them. It should be a sacrament for all so, Christ yeah. followers. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And we see the evidence of it that the power of of releasing our sin, confessing it, just just helps us to tap into that economy of abundance. I think we were talking about before, because then all of a sudden you've got this revival that's going on and on and on and on and on. And it's a thing of beauty. I love, I love that. I think that that can be extrapolated into relationship, marriage, how you go about doing business with, you know, business partners, clients, whoever you're working with, prospects, being transparent in in your dealings, even even around, hey, I'm I'm having conversations with this other buyer. I've got interest over here, just letting you know um these are the things that I'm looking for. There's I think there's an element of the way I think about it as well, through the lens of Jesus, is like well, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. So if we're not free from our sins or what has a, a stranglehold over us, then we actually aren't living into that promise that we've been given. And so the 
the transparency I feel is then um, kind of like the, the the cleansing. Really, it's it's the freedom where we don't mm. we we know that there's congruence because we're right with God, and um, that confession piece is is again uh, re realigning with Him, connecting with Him. Um, repentance to 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 renew one's mind it's like well how can you how can you change your mind how can you change your thinking first without actually addressing the thing that's in the way really powerful um henry conscious Mm -hmm. of time so i i I have one um one question for you i guess then before we wrap up today and it's been such a beautiful uh beautiful conversation and i really appreciate your time being with us um, I would love to know, I know that you guys had a faith driven investor event a couple of weeks ago. I haven't watched the recording yet. It was like 2am my time. So I've got that saved. Um, but I'd love to hear what have you got planned for your ministries this year? Is there anything exciting that you are rolling out, um, that you can kind of give us a little sneak preview of? Great question. Okay. first thing on. Um, the FDI side, I am really excited that uh, in the past, we've had a faith-driven investor conference that's broadcast it one time. Um, and this year, we're making it so that that faith-driven investor conference can be packaged and shown anytime. That anytime that a facilitator wants to show it in their community or their church, it's four hours, great content. The Grace Guide this year, we got just incredible uh, reviews on it. So I really hope, Ryan, that you get a chance to to to, to maybe even host one of those at your church. And I'd love to oh, come yeah. alongside to set that up. So we're changing the format of how we do that a little bit. Uh, we're launching four new investment communities for faith-driven investor, one on emerging markets, one on real estate, one on public markets, one on direct investing. That's new. Um, we're going to be doing, looking to do more work with faith-driven entrepreneur in local language. I think there's some opportunities for us to do some more things with dubbing with the new artificial intelligence platforms that are coming out, which is really exciting. But I also think that there's an opportunity to film, make more stories that feature like Indonesian entrepreneurs. And we have maybe 12 or 13 of the stories are from Asia, but most of them are heavily weighted towards the United States. And we're going to, we're going to do more of those, but maybe the one that I'm most excited about is initiative we have that we're, codenaming at least now called solving the world's greatest problems and it's under god's power for his glory so lest our theology be too whacked out here because i'm always reluctant whenever anybody says well i'm i'm changing the world or i'm solving the world's problems it sounds a little too heady um but nonetheless we're going to try to have a campaign around what's your problem right so is your problem the fact that people don't have clean water? Is your problem that there's no not a local church? Is your problem that people don't know, have never heard about the name of Jesus? Is your problem that there's not enough economic empowerment and access to jobs? Is your power is your problem the fact there's not enough access to capital? Or fill in the blanks uh, and looking at all these different types of interventions and telling stories around each of these titles about something that we might build towards solving a problem. So take clean water. What's something we can build? You know, our legacy comes out as entrepreneurs. So when God's put something on our heart to take care of the poor, the answer isn't necessarily just to give. It might be. But we also have two other legs in that stool too. So one is to build. Maybe an entrepreneur is called to come up with a marketplace innovation. 
maybe it's water metering or water distribution or something like that. So build, invest, in some cases it's to invest in the entrepreneur that's building and give. So B-I-G and with each one of these problems. So we're piloting it out. We're excited about what that looks like. We have more than 15,000 entrepreneurs now that have gone through the Faith mm -hmm. of Entrepreneur group. Um, and they know already about the content and community we do. And with the foundations group, there's no cost or catch and just something that is out there. But then the question is, how do we then continue to meet in community to get to get more of an overview about, just get more involved with how God might have us get in the game? If there are 4 billion people living on less than $10 a day, what do we do about it? Do we come alongside the woman that you talked about in the Philippines and, and, and work on, on hunger? Or is maybe it's this shelter, but how do we learn about that coming together in community? And I'm just really fired up. If we can get 15,000 people to go through groups like that, I think that'll be, I think that'll be really cool. I've heard, I don't know this to be 100% true. I've heard that there's 16,000 clean water ministries in the world. And so I, I don't yeah. know if it's apocryphal, but there are lots and lots and lots because by and large, the body of Christ doesn't do a great job of coming together and sharing information and best practices on these different types of interventions that really move the needle, needle in poverty. So we tend to reinvent the wheel a lot. Our hope is that we might be able to make a contribution through our content and community with the audience that we have that have gone through foundations groups in a way that they might be more in sync and find more effective and efficient interventions that will love on the poor. And then in the process, hopefully, we're drawn closer to knowing God ourselves. And the poverty that exists within us will be made better because Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that we who are poor would become rich. And after the, hearing the story from the woman in the Philippines, I realized that she is a richer person than I am. Mm. Wow profound and if if um your ministries launch in or, or sovereigns capital launch an etf in the future or something else that we can contribute please uh please let me know too thank you so sovereigns has launched an etf and oh it's, okay it's ticker symbol s s o v f s o v f to invest in christian-led publicly traded companies i will i will have to look that up on my trading platform then um yeah. i wasn't and aware of that also, so that's very even tide even tide has some uh public mutual funds that do a great job with the positive screen just to find uh their tagline is investing that makes the world rejoice um but those are those are just a couple and then on the fate of entrepreneur marketplace there are just there are many 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 more um but yeah. uh even tied in the way they approach things, I think is unique. And I do think that the approach of um, SOVF in finding Christian Christians that are CEOs of publicly traded companies is a uh, is a, is important for the overall ecosystem. Yeah, it's, and it's a new it's a new fund, right? It's only like four months old, from that's what right. I can see. Came out. That's right. Yeah, came very came exciting. Out. Okay. That'll be something I'll look at later today. Henry, thank you. Um, thank you so much uh, for your time. I feel like some of the things you mentioned as well, you know, I must have a conversation offline. Um, I actually have some other interests around investing in Asia as well. So I'd love to chat to you about that. Cool. Um, 
But yeah. honestly, thank you again for your time and appreciation. For those at home, thank you for listening and uh, really appreciate you tuning in today for this beautiful conversation. If you've been inspired or touched or moved uh, with your faith in listening to Henry and I converse, would love and appreciate you sharing this. And I will link uh, Henry's ministries below, Faith Driven uh, Entrepreneur and Faith Driven Investor, as well as his books um, and social platforms so you can connect with him there. Henry, thank you for being a blessing to us today and uh, just really appreciate your time, energy, and uh, for tuning in, uh, I believe, in your evening over in California. Indeed. Ryan, it's been a great blessing. Thank you for you to you and for all of your listeners. And uh, gosh, I'd love to visit with you all sometime in person in, in Australia. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much.